Well, good morning. Welcome you all out. As we conclude our sermon series on prayer this morning, I know that many of you have been praying for our pastor, Randy, and uh, Dale, Ronnie, and Jerry, and the whole team that's in Africa, and we want to continue to pray for them. Uh, They've already had their Sunday morning service over there many hours ago, but uh, we want to pray for them as they continue to minister there. We want to pray for the Chavez family as they get ready to go to Guatemala with a sister church, and then We've got Nicaragua coming up and Haiti coming up and just so many things going on uh, in our mission area. Let's, let's enter into prayer and pray for these that are on the mission field right now getting ready to go. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you are our God, that you're in control. Lord, whether we're talking about things in Colonial Heights or Chesterfield or we're talking about things in Africa or Guatemala or Nicaragua or wherever it may be in the world, Lord. Father, we pray for our mission team that's overseas right now. We ask you to protect them. We ask you to use them in a mighty way. Uh, We pray, Lord, for others. We pray for the uh, Lord, just your blessing on all of our teams that go out. And Father, we ask that uh, you would be glorified in all of it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Our uh, grandson, Micah, is a November baby. In fact, the latter part of November. So, It's really only a few weeks between his birthday and Christmas. And every year that causes him some problems in trying to figure out his wish list. I mean, do you put all your really good stuff on the November birthday wish list so you can get it sooner? And then use the Christmas wish list as kind of your B list, your backup list, the other stuff that you wanted? See, the problem with that, he discovered, is sometimes you don't get everything that was on your A-list, your, your November birthday list, and now he's stuck with things that he's getting for Christmas and didn't get all the things that he really wanted. And so it causes him some stress and some anguish, and he enters into what we have come to know in our family as list paralysis. He just kind of goes into a loop, and he can't get anything down on the list. He can't decide what to put where. Well, this year, his granny, my wife, Sue, finally told him, said, look, Micah, no list, no presents. And it's amazing when it's been weeks of procrastination and uh, that paralyzed effect in a matter of moments ended up in an extensive, uh, well-thought-out list of all the things he wanted for his birthday. Let me ask you this morning, what's on your wish list? Maybe for some, it's that you'd have a comfortable retirement as we think towards those years of our lives. For others, maybe it's a new job, a bigger house, a smaller house, children, that perfect spouse. Let me ask you another question. What's on your prayer list? Now, some of the same things may be on there. Retirement, jobs, family. But maybe go a little more spiritual with our prayer list. We pray for a closer walk with God. We pray for spiritual maturity. What goes on our prayer list? I want you to look at some quotes about prayer. First from the Bible itself, from James says, you do not have because you do not ask. 
And then Billy Graham said this, Heaven is full of answers to prayer for which no one ever bothered to ask. Think about that for a moment. And then John Wesley said, God does nothing but by prayer and everything with it. And then I guess my favorite one of all of these quotes may be Philip Brooks. He says, prayer is not conquering God's reluctance, but taking hold of God's willingness. See, it's not a matter of the fact that God does not want to answer our prayers. It is the exact opposite. God is waiting to answer our prayers. Our prayer is taking a hold of His willingness. It's embracing what He wants to do for us. So over the last month and a half, we have been talking about prayer. We have been learning about prayer. We have been reading about prayer. And kind of the theme that we have had through all of that is, if you only have time for one thing this year, make it prayer. Well, I want to take us to the next step in that and ask you or say to you this morning, if you only have time to pray for one thing, what should that thing be? And I think you could make good cases for several different things, but I want to suggest to you this morning that that one thing for which we should always be praying is for the lost. For people to experience forgiveness. For people to understand that they can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. What is consistently on your prayer list? In the Bible, we see several very radical prayers. And they're radical evangelistic prayers. We see Jesus as he hung on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. We see in Exodus chapter 32 as Moses stands at the foot of Mount Sinai and the people of Israel have all sinned and God is getting ready to literally wipe them out, Moses prays a prayer of intercession and forgiveness for them. In Acts chapter 7, as he is being stoned, Stephen prays, Father, do not hold this sin against them. Three very radical Almost unbelievable prayers. Prayers for forgiveness. Prayers for people to be saved. I want you to look at another radical evangelistic prayer this morning. If you take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 10. This is a prayer of Paul. And it is a prayer for the lost. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. He says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for them, for them is that they may be saved. My heart's desire. That thing that I most desperately want for them. And who is them? 
Well, it's his fellow Hebrews. He has just shared through through, uh, the book of Romans about their quest to use the law to obtain righteousness. And Paul now is praying that they might rather know the Savior who's already done that for them. And so his heart's desire for them. How deep is that desire? Turn back one chapter to Romans chapter 9. We pick up and begin reading in verse 2. He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Did you get that? Did you hear what he was saying there? He said, my desire is so deep that I wish I could give up my salvation in order for them to be saved. I wish I could go to hell so that they would not have to go to hell. It's a radical prayer, isn't it? It's a prayer expressing his heart's desire. It is a prayer expressing his understanding of the horrors of hell. And it is a prayer expressing his love for others. You see, what he's saying in that statement, what he's saying in those prayers is that I believe they can be saved and I believe that prayer makes a difference. How about us? He said, my heart's desire is that they may be saved. What's your heart's desire for those around you? I I would guess that Many, if not most of us in here, would have someone or maybe several someones that we would say, my heart's desire is for that person or those persons to be saved. They, they mean so much to me that that is just consuming my heart and I, I, I have that great desire for them. That's what Paul said. But then he took it a step further and he expressed the reality of his love Because he says, and I pray for that. I lift that up to God. How about you? See, some of us would say we have the desire of our heart, but does our prayer show the reality of that? I'm going to say something that will probably upset some of you. You'll think it's harsh. Now, I believe in praying for healing. And I understand that we we don't like to let our loved ones go. But in 40 years in the ministry, I have seen so many occasions where dear saints of God are ready physically and spiritually to go to be with Jesus. But loving, well-meaning, well-intentioned people pray for God not to take them away from us. I understand that. I I get that, not wanting to let people go. But in these 40 years, I can honestly say to you, I have seen more people pray for folks not to go to heaven than I've seen people pray for them not to go to hell. What about your prayer life? What are you praying for 
people? Are you praying for the lost? Are you praying for them to avoid hell? That's what Paul was doing here. Even to the point of saying, if I could take their place, I would. So if we're going to pray for the lost, how do we do it? I'm going to share with you this morning six ways to pray for the lost. First one is this. Pray for individual people by name. Isaiah says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. I have called you by name. God knows our names. He knows their names. Some of you are familiar with a comedian by the name of Larry the Cable Guy. I know you never thought you'd hear Larry the Cable Guy in a sermon. And I'm going to paraphrase some as I talk about him. But one of his classic lines, after he said something, he'll say, Lord, forgive me for that one there. And help all the starving people in New Guinea. That's kind of the way many of us pray for the lost. It's that big blanket statement that we put out there. God, we pray for all the lost people in the world, and that's where it ends. I want to show you something, a little chart. In this passage, in that prayer that Paul gives out in in chapter 10, verse 1, when he's praying for them, praying for Israel, he he is praying globally. There is nothing wrong with us praying for all the lost people in the world. It just can't stop there. You should pray for all the lost everywhere, for people to come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of their lives. But you also need to shrink that circle down some. You need to pray locally. And locally can mean your locality. You can pray for all of those in Colonial Heights and Chesterfield and the Tri-Cities area. And you can lift them up. You want to see something amazing happen in our community. Or that locally can even be within your own family. Lord, I'm praying for those in my family. But again, it can't stop there. It needs to be personal. We need to pray for people by name. Why? Because individuals get saved. Individuals enter into a relationship with Jesus. And we have individuals in our circle of friends, in our family, in our circle of work acquaintances that we would like to see come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So what do we do? We lift them up by name. God knows their name. So call it out to him. That's what he tells us. Second thing, second way to pray. Pray with others in agreement. In Matthew, he says, Again, I assure you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am among them. Now, this passage in its context is primarily about church discipline. You look it up in, in chapter 18, that's what it's talking about. But a secondary context that can be used is just the idea of prayer. And the key word in that is this little word right here, agree. Agree. It is the same word from which we get the word symphony. So when you go to a a 
orchestra concert, go to the symphony concert, and, and they, all these instruments together are playing, and it's all in one accord, and it's all for one purpose, and it's all on one song, and that's being lifted up in agreement, in symphony. We've already done it in here this morning. So we stood up during our time of singing and we sang our praises and we lifted up a sympathy, sympathy, symphony, excuse me, too much tongue in my mouth, symphony of praise. He says, we are to lift up a symphony. The theme is glorious agreement, but it is agreement with Jesus. What does Jesus desire? Scripture tells us. It comes up here. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. So when we are praying for the loss, praying in agreement with others, joining together to lift up this symphony of, of request, of uh, prayers for forgiveness, we are doing it in agreement with what God wants with what Jesus Christ wants. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. We are agreeing with him in that. So come together. Don't be afraid to name names and join together in agreement with others. You know, when you really care about something, you want everybody pushing for that with you. That's the way it is in prayer. And so we are to lift that up to him. The third thing is ask in faith. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. We are to operate in faith. Look at another John Wesley quote. He says, God will do nothing on earth except in answer to Believing prayer. Believing prayer. Start of this service, we had uh, a lot of our middle schoolers up here on stage. A lot of them, not all of them, many of them are new, but a lot of them, my wife and I taught in the preschool department here at church. Back before Randy came, I was the interim pastor for that year. And during that time, Sue took over working in the nursery with the 6 to 12-month-olds, just as they were coming out of Miss Pat's nursery down there. And then when Randy came and I didn't have to preach anymore, I went down there to help her. And so as that group graduated from the 6 to 12-month-old and went into the one-year-old class, they didn't have a teacher for them. So they moved us up with them. And then when they got ready to go from the one-year-old to the two-year-old, they didn't have a teacher for that class anymore either, so Sue and I moved up with them again. In fact, we were getting promoted every time they got promoted. Well, when they went from the two-year-old to the three-year-old class, we had a three-year-old teacher, so Sue and I did not move up. We stayed in the two-year-old class. But the very first day after we had made that adjustment and they had moved up, that first Sunday, Sue went, had to go into the three-year-old class for something. And when she got in there, one of our little girls who'd been with us since she was six months old, she looked at Sue and said, tell Mr. Mike we're in here now. <laughs> well, Sue explained to her that 
you know, she was in there, but she had a teacher, and we weren't coming up. We were going to stay with the two-year-olds, and she listened, listened patiently as Sue explained all of that, and then she looked at her again and said, tell Mr. Mike we're in here now. So Sue, again, explained to her why we were not in there. She was going to be in there, and it would be great. And She had an awesome new teacher, and she finished. The little girl put her hands on her hip and looked at Sue and said, Tell Mr. Mike we're in here now. <laughs> at which point my wife gave up and told her, she said, Okay, I'll tell him, but it's not going to do any good. You know, I think sometimes... That's kind of how we pray. We know we're supposed to pray, so we, we pray, we say something. But we really don't think it's going to do any good. We don't think God's going to listen or God's going to answer. But what does Wesley say? God will do nothing except in answer to believing prayer. Do you believe God is God? Do you believe God can do whatever God wants to do? Ask in faith, believing. Then number four is pray persistently. He then told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not become discouraged. Go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 18 because I want us to look at that prayer, to, uh, that uh, parable together. And as you're turning there, I want you to understand something. This is a parable of contrast. That, that's what's all behind this particular parable, and you need to understand that as you read it or as you listen to it. Luke chapter 18, verse 2. He says, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, where the Son of Man, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Okay. Now, if you're not careful when you first read that or first hear that, your thought can go to, so if I just keep worrying God to death and pester him enough, he'll give me whatever I want. No. Remember, it is a story of contrast. It is a contrast between an unjust, ungodly judge who cares nothing about this widow, who has no desire to give her anything that she wants, finally giving in, versus a heavenly father who loves her, who cares about her, 
and who wants to give her the very best. And he says, if an unjust judge, an unrighteous judge, will give her what she wants, how much more so a loving heavenly father? You see, God's delays are not because he doesn't want to do it. God's delays are delays of preparation. He's preparing their hearts, preparing the soil for what is to come. And he finishes up right there in that parable by saying, when Jesus comes again, will he see that kind of faith among us? Will he see believing He says, don't get discouraged. Don't give up. God is at work. And he has a purpose in any delay that he makes. And then here's the fifth one. It says, pray for a willingness to be a part of the solution. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. Now here is where it gets real. Praying for us to be willing to be a part of the solution. Jill Briscoe, back in 1984, wrote a book uh, teaching about Moses and his calling to be the leader of the Hebrew people. And the title of the book was this, Here I am, Lord, send Aaron. Can you identify with that? You see, most of us in here have that someone, those someones that we want to see saved, that we want to see enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. We have that heart's desire. Uh, we're even willing to pray for it. We believe they can be saved. We just are hoping he'll send somebody else. But as you pray, as you pray for the lost, as you pray for those closest to you, you have to pray with a willingness to be a part of the solution. In other words, am I praying that I'm going to have the opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus? Yes! That's being part of the solution. That's the calling God has on our lives. So pray for a willingness. Be a willing participant of that. And then number six. Pray for the veil to be lifted from their spiritual eyes. In their case, the God of this age, and that's Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Pray that the veil would be lifted because they are blinded. Now, for some of you sitting in here today who maybe have not yet entered into that personal relationship with Jesus, you've never uh, acknowledged your need for a Savior. You're sitting here and, and that kind of irked you a little bit. You're thinking, that old man up on the platform just said I was blind. 
No, actually, the Bible said it. But listen to what the Bible's saying. A word that we use in church all the time for those who are apart from God, who are not yet believers, who are not yet followers of Jesus Christ, and you've heard it several times in this sermon, is the word lost. Why do we use that word? Because when are you lost? When you can't see to find your way out of something. You can't see to find the way to safety. You can't see to find the way out of the woods. Wherever it is, you're lost. You can't find your way from there. You can't see it. You can't comprehend it. And that's what we mean spiritually. You're lost. You don't see the way. And part of the reason for that is because Satan has blinded our eyes. He is trying to keep you from seeing the way. He's trying to keep you from coming to Jesus. He's trying to keep you from experiencing salvation. He's trying to keep you from heaven so that you can be His. And so we need to pray for the veil to be removed from people's eyes. Well, we've talked about how to pray. Now I'm going to get even more specific and I'm going to tell you what to pray. And so we're going to pull that up. And this is an easy test. This is just a fill in the blank. What are you going to fill in there? You're going to fill in the name of that person that God has on your heart. That person, when if you were praying Paul's prayer that says, my heart's desire and prayer for Bill, Sandra, Joan, Thomas, whoever it is God's put on your heart. And you just plug it in. Thank you that you desire Bob to be saved and to come to a personal knowledge of the truth. Plug that in. Pray that. Lord, please draw Billy to yourself. I changed it from Bob because Bob Ham asked me to not use his name all the way through. Lord, please convict Tommy of sin, righteousness, and judgment. These are the types of prayers we need to be praying for them. Lord, please soften the soil of Joan's heart. Give me the opportunity to share the gospel with Billy. And what we're praying for all of them is that they would come to the Father to repent of their sins, believe the gospel, and declare Jesus as Lord. What is your heart's desire for those who are apart from God? What is your heart's desire for those that don't know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? I would hope, I would pray that your heart's desire is for them to be saved. Remember, we said earlier, Paul believed they could be saved and he believed prayer made a difference. I would hope that you would believe that prayer would make a difference. So as we come to the conclusion of this sermon series on prayer, 
I hope that you have been challenged to be people of prayer, that you have made a deeper commitment to prayer. And I would hope that as we come out of today's message, that you would be deeply committed to praying for those that are in your circle of friends and in your family and in your uh, business acquaintances and wherever it is that you encounter people, that you would be praying for them to be saved. May our hearts desire and our prayer to God be that they might be saved. But before we conclude today, I want to share something with a certain group of people. Because there are some of you sitting in here and some of you that will be listening over the internet and some folks who are out at our campus at Midlothian. As you sit here today, you are one of those people for whom someone has been praying. You don't yet know Jesus Christ in a real and a personal way. You've not yet acknowledged that you are lost. That you're a sinner who needs a Savior. Because of that, you have a friend, a loved one. It might be a spouse. It might be a parent. It might be a child. It might be a neighbor. But they've been praying for you. Their heart's desire and their prayer has been for you to be saved. And they've gotten up in the early morning hours. And they have poured out their heart to God. For you to be saved. And at night when you're sound asleep in your bed. They've been sitting up. Praying to God. For you. To be saved. And as we sit here this morning. They may be sitting right beside you. Or they may be across the room. But right now they're praying for God to draw you. To himself. And as you sit here this morning and feel that drawing on your heart, feel that tug that you really couldn't explain what it was, but now you know it's God answering the prayer of that loved one. Today you have an opportunity to respond in faith to what God has done for you. That person who has been praying for you so desperately does it because they love you. And they have done it because they understood, as Paul did, the horrors of hell and separation from God. And out of that love, they've been lifting you up. And out of God's love, He has reached down to you. And this morning, He's tugged at your heart. How do you respond to that? What do you do? How, how do you go about taking that next step? How do you go about accepting what God has done for you when He sent His Son to pay the price for our sins by dying on the cross in our place? Well, you know, one of the simplest ways to do it is in the very way we've been talking about for the last six weeks, and that's prayer. Let's bow our heads and let's pray a prayer. If you're here today and you felt that tugging at your heart, you've never before accepted that gift that God offers. But today, you would pray this prayer. Just pray it from your heart and say, Lord, 
Today I realize that I am a sinner. And that means I need a Savior. I realize I can't do it on my own. And Lord, I thank you for that person and those persons who've been praying for me. And I thank you, Father, for that tug you've given me today. Telling me you're waiting. And so, Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. And I believe that Jesus Christ is my only Savior. And I accept what he did for me on the cross. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Save me from where I am, Lord. And make me a child of God. And then if you're here today and you are a child of God, you are a follower, you are a believer, I want to give you an opportunity to pray as we've talked about here today. To plug in those names to your prayer of those people, that person that's closest to you that you want to see saved. I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to let you lift your prayers up to God right there where you sit. Right from your heart to Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.